appreciate all of you being here. So we, we have started this sort of set of teachings on uh, generosity, on virtue, and on meditative cultivation. Uh, I'm calling those the three working grounds, or the three grounds of meritorious activity. Today we're going to focus on the third a little bit, and we're going to talk about one of our favorites, which is Zazen. Um, Zazen gets, as I've said before, Zazen gets a lot of press in Zen circles, and for good reason. Um, in some ways, Zazen is, Zazen is pointed out and prioritized as like the singular practice. Has anyone ever had that impression? Yeah, some, some. Um, yeah, uh, Dogen Zenji, the founder in Japan, kind of goes to great lengths to talk about how uh, powerful Zazen is. And like I said, for good reason. Sometimes it's understood as, as a, uh, not that we're cultivating something in particular, but we're expressing enlightenment. We're expressing awakening. Even through the, just the posture itself, sometimes we're, we're talked about as expressing awakening. And when we sit together in meditation hall, we're doing a ceremony, is one of these understandings, that's enacting the Buddha's awakening. So you've got that, which is pretty epic. And then you have this other side of zazen, which is like everyday body and breath. That's it. Like nothing really fancy. Everyday rice and tea. Like pay attention to your food. Pay attention how you're walking. Pay attention how you're breathing. You know, everyday rice and tea. I was holding these two in my mind earlier in the week, and it occurred to me, like, how much teaching on zazen is there? Like how how broad is this question? And then how do we orient to that question? So I decided to survey 10-ish Dharma teachers and ask, what's your one-line-ish brief teaching that clarifies the practice of zazen? And I want to share what I, what I heard. So I've, I've got a little collection I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share with you. For the sake of memory, I think they sort pretty well into three basic categories, and one is acceptance, acceptance of what is. The second is awareness. And the third is compassionate, skillful means. So just for your memory device, you can, you can have that little scaffolding, scaffolding of acceptance, awareness, and compassion. And we'll go from there. So the first, acceptance. First person, first person I want to tell you about, you know, some of you know already, his name is Michael. He's very tall, he's a very deep voice. I met Michael in the kitchen at Tassajara. Uh, I was a new monk, and he was in charge of feeding all the monks, and I have a, I have a dietary thing. I have a chronic illness that I work with, so one of the first things you do when you arrive at Tassajara, if you have a thing, is you go talk to the person who's in charge of the kitchen. So, you know, I'm nervous. I lay out my whole spiel. I'm like, I'm really nervous about this. These are my needs. Can you help me? He's like, yeah, sure. Just so easy. Uh, Michael describes running the kitchen at Tassajara as like landing a 737 three times a day. He, uh, I don't think he would mind me telling you he, um, he more identifies as a poet than he does uh, anything else. Maybe that's not quite true. Strong, like... 
identifies as a poet, so it may be surprising that he's also the CFO. You know, so like he's got he's got all these like different lives, right? And I asked him in his broad Michael knowledge, like what is what's the heart of Zazen? Like what clarifies the teaching for you? He paused for about two seconds and he said, Acceptance. Acceptance. And he, he elaborated, he's like, Can I can I accept this? Just right here, what's here? Can I accept that? And then this phrase really caught my ear. This is the last thing that Michael said. Am I at war with myself or am I at peace with myself? That's the practice of zazen. And I, was, I, was, I thought that was poignant. I thought it was poignant and I considered it to point to a teaching that's pretty profound in terms of zazen practice. And that is, as some people put it, there are only ever two things going on. There's the experience, and then there's how I'm relating to that experience. There's like phenomena that are arising and my relationship to those phenomena. And I think Michael here is pointing out, pointing, pointing especially to the relationship. Like, can I, can I accept this? Am I at war with this that's arising right now? Or am I at peace with it? Like, what's the relationship? So my, uh, my survey about Zazen goes on. I talked to another Tassahara monk, um, a seriously deep practitioner with um, sort of an iconoclastic streak. He's a little bit of a jester. Sometimes I think about like Shakespeare's fools. I was like really wise, but uh, uh, we'll call you on it in good humor, you know? little bit of a trickster and so I asked him the same question he had just finished teaching a really really long retreat and he gave me this he said at the end of the retreat someone said that the thing that I kept saying again and again that helped them was and that's okay he goes on there's a lot of highfalutin ideas about practice but really I think that this points to our basic problem and to the way out and the way to sit Zazen. Zazen is clear when we settle with things as they've come to be. Things keep happening and that's okay. That ease becomes our profound basis rather than the basis for our clinging. So I think again, pointing to, pointing to a relationship with experience that emphasizes acceptance. It might evoke something a little bit different than you than asking yourself, am I at war with this moment or am I at peace with this moment? Maybe something else lands in your heart or in your, in your mind. Simply to follow up an experience with, and that's okay. That's okay, this too, this too. Something that I appreciate about the, the sort of acceptance practice is that it, it applies or it can apply to everything internal, external, um, pleasant, unpleasant, whether your inner life is like Ajahn Chao's still forest pool or whether your inner life is like a torch. You can still offer, and that's okay. Fake it till you make it. It's part of this practice. Zazen, because you're bound to the cushion, you made a commitment to be on the cushion and not move, it's a very safe place to feel your feelings, especially the ones that you might not want to feel. 
Um, sometimes, sometimes the arms are in the, the mudra, the posture like this, and it just feels like total ring of fire, you know? But I'm not going to move. I'm just going to feel it. And that's okay. That's okay. So, taking a little turn with this acceptance practice regarding the relationship to experience, I want to tell you about someone named uh, Kodo Sawaki Roshi. Uh, no relation, no relation. This, he's a uh, Japanese Zen master from last century. Is anyone familiar with Sawaki Roshi? Cool, cool, cool. Then I get to be the one to tell you. Um, he ran away from home when he was 16. Uh, he, he ran to a Heiji. He ran away to be a monk. How great is that? Ran away from his home to the monastery and, uh, and became a monk at the main training temple in, in uh, Japan. Soon enough, uh, he, let's cut to, soon enough he becomes the abbot of Antaiji, one of the, one of the at least as far as the Western Dharma scene is concerned, one of the well-known temples in Japan, where they practice a form of intensive uh, seshin, retreat, called seshin without toys. It's like bare bones, sit 50 minutes, walk 10, sit 50, walk 10, sit 50, walk 10, stop for a meal, and just go. Go on, like that for the rest of the day. No talks, no ceremonies. It's like just sazen. He really meant it. He, um, one of the things that's, that's unique about Sawaki Roshi is that he never, he never really settled down in a, in a certain kind of sense. He never, like, he never emphasized the admin side of being an abbot. Instead, he traveled around the country teaching lay people how to sit sazen, particularly by holding seshin, by holding these retreats. Great way to learn how to do sazen. So you may get the impression that Sawaki Roshi really cares about Sazen. And it may be surprising that one of his attention-getting teachings is, quote, Zazen is good for nothing. Good for nothing. It took me a long time to warm up to that. And it didn't really make sense out of it for a while, but to my mind, in in light of what we're talking about in terms of acceptance practice, what... I think one of the things that Sawaki Roshi is pointing to is the mind that is gaining is somehow not okay with this experience. Like I'm I'm trying to get something out of this experience. It's not just okay as it is. And his, his like cut to the core pithy teaching of Zazen is good for nothing is like even my meditation, I can't cling to that. They're like this too, this too. So there's a beautiful way that it undermines the seeking mind. Sazen's good for nothing. So that's something about acceptance. Second, uh, second sort of set of responses has to do with awareness. And particularly, being aware of awareness. Being aware of knowing or awareing. When we paused during the meditation to recognize that awareness is happening whether we try to or not. And like really getting intimate with that functioning of awareness is one of the core pieces of Zazen. So to illustrate this, just imagine or suppose 
you came for Young Urban Zen, you're here early. And we sit down and have a conversation. And, you, and in the course of that conversation, you tell me every story about you, all of them, the entire inventory. I've heard every detail about your life. And I appreciate that. <laughs> um, you end up covering everything that's charming, everything that's unflattering, everything you would like me to know, everything you'd like really not like me to know. And the question is, is that all of you? Does that encapsulate everything? Everything you are? Does it, does it limit your awareness? Did you just describe your awareness to me? A little poetically, I want to I wanna posit that the, the concepts and the stories that actually they mean so much to us. The concepts and the stories, not to make light of them, but there's no way that you can wrap your red beating heart in cellophane. There's no way. You just can't stop it. You are like, your awareness is such a wonder. I'm, I'm just sort of like gushing about awareness at the moment. But... Uh, um, yeah. Yeah. Abbot David lives across the street, or lives across the courtyard. And he points to this, the importance of awareness, knowing awareness, knowing knowing. In a, in a simple, sort of like tongue-twisty kind of phrase, um, what is it that's experiencing what you're experiencing. That's like Abbot David's koan that he, he'll, he'll drop in a formal meeting and then drop the mic and walk out of the room. <laughs> what is it that's experiencing what you're experiencing? It's a little bit of a turn on uh, senior Dharma teacher Paul Haller's saying, experience the experience you're experiencing. So... Those each sort of unlock little subtleties of the process, but what is it? Like, can you, can you put a name on it? I'm going to call it awareness, but like, really, can you get a grip on this thing? It's pretty remarkable. Um, in, the way that it, in the way that it brings forth wonder and, the way, and its ungraspability, it might seem kind of esoteric. But again, there's this thing, like, just try to not be aware. Uh, and I don't, I don't know if we'll be able to get there. So in, uh, in dharmic terms, awareness is really simple, really simply the knowing faculty. It's that faculty of mind, that function of mind that knows. Even more basic than recognition. It doesn't even, knowing doesn't even recognize that this is a sheet of paper. It just is like knows bare sense data. That's like how baseline uh, dharmic consciousness consciousness is. I'm going to use awareness and consciousness interchangeably. The fact that anything that can arise anything can arise in experience, and it's ungraspable, points to another of Sawaki Roshi's teachings 
where he says, it can be any which way, but it has to be just as it is. Well, (laughs) it can be any which way, but it has to be just as it is. So developing some ways to get to know awareness, get to know the the functioning of knowing, uh, sort of opens up up Sazen in a certain kind of way. So it's well worth the, the skillful means. Guy Armstrong teaches this teaches this as a way in. And he's like, this bell, is it gold or is it round? (laughs) Two aspects to the bell. It can be both gold and it can be round. Any moment of experience has both the aspects of the thing we're knowing and the knowing of it, at least in the Buddhist analysis. It's the, the, arising, the arising of this and the arising of the knowing. They happen together. So you can sort of invite yourself to lean in and know knowing. And I'll get to why here in a minute. Simply put, it's that finding through like this, this developing intimacy with awareness, the developing intimacy with knowing, there's a way that the center of gravity of experience starts to shift. And from these like really shaky grounds of like finding my refuge in objects, things, people, activity, instead the mind starts to find a bit of a safer refuge actually in this simple place of knowing. And the heart has to sort of grow into it, actually. That's why it's, it's part of a cultivation. There's a way the mind can sort of just snap open and like, wow, knowing, that's amazing. But um, it's almost like, it's like, walking, it's like walking past a flower and catching a petal on your, on your arm. It's like, it's very delicate. Uh, but over time, like, you develop a familiarity with the feeling of awareness, the feeling of knowing, and the mind can find its way there in a safer haven. I love the fact that you don't have to do awareness. Another reason it's a wholesome place to spend some time in zazen is that we can't own it. Awareness is like fully functioning in our being and it's not ours. So any, any inclination to grasp, and it doesn't find anything. Your grasping can never be satisfied by awareness. So I want to encourage you to sort of feel, feel into it as, a, as, a, as that arises for you. One little caveat as you, as you uh, think about awareness, practice with awareness. Theorizing is really fun. Theorizing is really fun and useful in its, in its scope. Um, and in my experience, it's not, it doesn't free the heart in the same way that like an intimate familiarity with awareness does. What is it that's experiencing what you're experiencing? So Zazen, we've accepted everything. We're aware of everything with non-clinging. Accepting what's here and clearly aware 
path of zazen is characterized by compassionate action. That's the third thing. When we um, we have some we have some folks here tonight who are living next door. I think that's wonderful. Um, every morning, nine a.m. after the sound of the big drum, boom, 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 we meet in the dining room. We get in a big circle, and we make together. We make a flower offering to Samanta Bhadra Bodhisattva. Some, the, the, the archetype, the symbol of universal good. Uh, that, that, that we understand, we understand in our sort of cosmology as representative of compassionate action in the world. So we make an offering to this being, to this altar, before we do our work for the day. Oh yeah, this is why we're working today. And no matter what we're doing, if we're if we're in the kitchen, mopping the floors, doing the email, we're all doing it for the benefit of compassionate action in the world. So that's how we start our day. One mode of compassionate action, skillful means to convey the practice. That's what we're doing right now. It's like the teaching stories, the pithy sayings, the different techniques, all to sort of open the mind. There's a really simple one for the practice of zazen. This is from Ajahn Amaro, so I don't think he was intending to teach zazen per se. Um, But regarding meditation, very simple practice. He said, set your mind at ease. Set your mind at ease. And notice what it is that takes your mind away from that ease. So simple. Kind of like Dogen's instruction to set the set the body, set the body in a informal zazen posture, and then think not thinking. But to set the mind at ease and notice what takes you away. The last story I want to tell is one about skillful means. It really kind of opened me up to this idea of uh, of using different techniques to access zazen. So there's some way that we can think about, think about zazen in a, that uh, doesn't involve techniques, doesn't involve an approach. And I think that's valid. It's this story of uh, Suzuki Roshi, last couple of years of his life, April 1969. I don't think he knew that he had cancer yet. But he's at, he's at Tassajara after a practice period, and he goes down on a day off to um, go to this spring-fed swimming hole or like Tassajara Creek runs down over these rocks. It is like, it is one of the most, most gorgeous walks, less than a mile from the, from the, from the main set of cabins. But you're, you're crossing the river three times, you're in the wilderness, and there's a swimming hole. So he and the students go down there one of these April afternoons. Everyone's in swimming. Suzuki Roshi's hanging out a uh, little up high, Somehow he gets into the pool and the current is so strong that he, he sort of like, he, he loses his footing and he gets whoosh, whished along down this little waterfall and into the deep water where everyone is swimming. Suzuki Roshi cannot swim. So he's down, he's, he's like in the water realizing, okay, can't swim, looks up, sees legs, can't reach anyone, decides he's going to go down to the bottom and try to walk out. So 
he, he tries to pull this maneuver, can't get to the bottom. He's stuck, and he starts taking in water. One of the students is like, where is Suzuki Roshi? Picks him up, gets him out of the water. He gives a Dharma talk that night. So in the talk, to paraphrase, in the talk, He said he realized while he was down there how attached to life and air he was. <laughs> it's legit, right? I'm pretty attached to life and air. How attached to life and air he was. And he said, my practice is not good enough. He's <laughs> pretty hard on himself. You know? Actually, he, he, I mean... Pause in the story and I'll say, Suzuki Roshi took a just enormous amount of responsibility for the students to grow. He put his whole life into this. It's amazing. So yeah, he was like, my practice, not good enough. And I'm encouraged by his humility because his next move or he was, he was reflecting on this and then talked about it sometime shortly thereafter. His next move was to say, my practice isn't strong enough. I'm going to return to a basic practice of breath counting. And I want all of you to do it with me. He's like, all of us can do this breath counting thing together. And that's how he taught. Uh, I, I'm not sure, but I think that he taught that way for the rest of his life for the last two years of his life. If anyone, if anyone finds out otherwise, please let me know. But I think for the next two and a half years of his life, he taught breath counting as a means to strengthen his practice. Yeah. I'm so glad they got him out of the water. Yeah, wow. What would have become? So the last skillful means I want to suggest is dozen in one word. Just asking yourself the question, aware? Aware? You don't have to do it out loud, but you can bring that question with you. So acceptance, awareness, compassionate, skillful means. Again, my Tassahara monk friend, there's a lot of highfalutin ideas about practice, but I really think this points to our basic problem and to the way out and the way to sit Sazen. Zazen is clear when we settle with things as they come to be. Things keep happening, and that's okay. That ease becomes our profound basis. So this is a little collection of Zazen teachings in brief. Um, I had a lot of fun asking all these different teachers this question. I hope it was of some use to you as well. Um, there were some others that I didn't fit into this talk, so maybe we'll have a reprisal sometime later. Um, but I hope that some of these like, short teachings, even maybe just one or maybe some of them, can suggest doorways for you in your own practice, or points of access in your own practice, things maybe you haven't explored before, or reminded you of something that you already know. So may it be that the simplicity of awareness, just direct knowing, 
can teach our heart something about the beauty of non-clinging. I'll end with one more Suzuki Roshi quote. It was approached by a clinical psychiatrist. It probably means clinical psychologist. Questioned Suzuki Roshi about consciousness. Wouldn't you want to ask a Zen master about consciousness? And Suzuki Roshi said, I don't know anything about consciousness. I don't know anything about consciousness, Suzuki Roshi said. I just try to teach my students how to hear the birds sing. Thank you very much.